Brave has been directly mailing people at their home address. DuckDuckGo has been whitelisting Microsoft stuff in their browser. Bitwarden now has support for Simple Login and other email aliasing solutions. HP released a laptop that comes pre-installed with Linux. You might be able to boot Linux on your iPad soon. And lots of other exciting things. Welcome to Surveillance Port 90, where we're dedicated to keeping you private and secure with the latest news in the past two weeks. I am Henry from TechLore. I'm Nathan from The New Oil. And as always, Patreon and Monero are still our current support methods. Patreon is where we really appreciate you all supporting us because it gives us consistent budgets that we can set to do things. And also you get a lot of perks for supporting us through that, including ad-free segments, so you don't hear any of these segments. And also you get other things like a TLDR post, so you can just read through the notes. And you also get the opportunity to ask us questions in the Q&A, which is at the end of every report, as you'll see today. Also, we have the option for Monero if you just want to support us with nothing in return, but also you get some privacy. So either one of those is awesome. They're both in the description. Go visit them right now. Our final thing we want to mention, we did miss last week. So thanks for working with us. I had a breakup to go through and still will go through and Nate had his own personal stuff. So this will be a big week and we'll be doing our best to work through it as quickly as possible. Just please keep in mind, we did have to be a little bit stricter with story selection. So you might not see some of the more minor stories that we cover today. So the highlight story this week, it sounds like a big one. I think we're actually on different sides of the coin here. So I'll just cover what's going on and then Nate can comment. And then if I have anything to say, we'll go from there. Brave has been directly mailing people promo stuff to get involved with the Brave browser. So they're physically mailing people. So you go check your mail and you have this notice. And a lot of Brave users got this. So they're under the impression that Brave collected their home address somehow. That's not what happened. Brave simply collected information from USPS and just mass emailed certain zip codes. So if anyone who uses Brave got that letter, it's just a coincidence. With that said, Brave did admit that names were not supposed to be included on these mailers. And if I understood the blog post right, they're going to look into that and figure out why that was. So the, the thing we're kind of on separate sides is I take issue with this because to me, this is still supporting surveillance. Like even if Brave went through some kind of third party and they never had any uh, data from the people that they mailed and all of that. I accept that, but I, I still think it was kind of unethical of them to go through and work with a company who clearly is collecting that data, whether it was USPS or someone else, because again, names were on there. Names were not supposed to be on there. It was just supposed to be a list of addresses or current resident and send it out. To their defense, I guess this is a reminder that your public address and your name are probably uh, public information and you should be aware of that. And if that bothers you, you should definitely take steps to make that not be the case. That's very difficult. It's very complicated, but it can be done. That's kind of my takeaway. I don't think this impacts the, the browser or the search engine or their usability, but I, I really am not happy that they did this, but also to be fair, go ahead and name a browser that doesn't have some kind of controversy behind it. When we say we're on different sides of the coin here, I don't actually disagree with you. I think everything you said is accurate and I'm, I'm on the same page. It's just for me, I guess I just have different standards because I'm like, oh, it didn't impact privacy and security. So I'm generally fine with that. But you're totally right. It like indirectly supported an industry that does do that. For me, I just... <laughs> I'm almost desensitized to Brave's marketing stuff because Brave is so aggressive <laughs> with their marketing. So personally, I'm just desensitized to it. So they're like, oh, they mailed people. Okay. All right. It didn't impact privacy and security. So I guess it's just another Brave marketing move for them. And I mean, that's I fair. Know. I don't, not, I don't, I don't blame yeah. them for like mass marketing. Like I don't blame DuckDuckGo for putting up billboards. I, I think that's fine. But I, I guess, I don't know, maybe, maybe they're telling the truth and like the names weren't supposed to be on there and 
Uh, maybe they got taken by surprise by this too. It's just, to me, it's kind of like just, you know, put your money where your mouth is. If you're going to say you're a privacy browser, you have to work with other people who also respect privacy. That's kind of my I agree. Deal, but I agree. But yeah, I do agree that like if you're a Brave user and you like Brave, I don't think this is necessarily a reason to jump ship. The browser still works. The search engine still works. It's just a, a poorly made decision, I think. Yep. Yep. All right, with that, we're going to go ahead and launch into data breaches. And just a real quick reminder, we took two weeks off and there's a lot to go through. So we're going to try and blow through these as fast as we can. And apologies if we're going too fast. Their first story is data of 22.5 million Malaysians born between 1940 and 2004, allegedly being sold for about 10,000 US dollars. So this allegedly came from the National Registration Department, specifically via the My Identity API, which is a, quote, centralized data sharing platform that is used by various government agencies. I love this quote. Malaysia's Home Minister Harmza Zainuddin on Wednesday said that the alleged data leak did not come from the NRD, but from several agencies, which we have given some leeway for them to obtain information from us. He did not name those specific agencies or how many there were. Regarding an earlier data breach from September, Hamza said, don't worry about data held by the NRD. Our firewall is quite strong. Obviously not. Just ironic quotes of the day. Up next, a data breach at an Australian pension provider, Spirit Super, has impacted 50,000 victims following a phishing attack. This included names, addresses, ages as of 2019 through 2020, email addresses, phone numbers, member account numbers, and member balances. Our next story comes from New Jersey, where a talent firm has exposed thousands of resumes detailing immigration statuses and security clearances. This came from Voto Consulting, who mainly finds U.S. jobs for Indian IT professionals and affected about 30,000 prospective workers by leaving the database passwordless on the Internet. Go ahead and pause and let that one sink in if you need to. It contained names, email addresses, and candidates' resumes, many of which contained detailed work histories as well as other personal information like home address, phone numbers, and dates of birth. In many cases, resumes also revealed the candidate's immigration status, such as if they had a visa, work authorizations, or citizenship, as well as details of the person's security clearance required for some U.S. federal government jobs. Uh, before it was taken offline, the database had included up to 170,000 entries. Up next, General Motors' credential stuffing attack has exposed car owners' information. So GM is an automobile giant, for those who don't know, and this includes Chevy, Buick, GMC, Cadillac, and more. This affected less than 5,000 people, so it is on a smaller scale. But still, this is sensitive information because it revealed first and last name, email and physical address, usernames, phone numbers, last known saved favorite location information, OnStar subscription packages, family member avatar and photos, pretty much everything on the accounts if you want to look through um, all the data points that were shared. The GM site does not allow 2FA, which is probably one of the first places that we'd ask people to make updates for their websites to help prevent this kind of issue. Our next data breach comes from Verizon, where an attacker has stolen the database of hundreds of employees. Quoting the article, a hacker has obtained a database that includes full name, email address, corporate ID numbers, and phone numbers of hundreds of Verizon employees. It's unclear if all the data is accurate or up to date, unquote, but Motherboard did confirm several of the phone numbers and names by calling them. The anonymous hacker said they obtained the data by convincing a Verizon employee to give them remote access to their corporate computer. At that point, the hacker said they gained access to a Verizon internal tool that shows employee information and wrote a script to query and scrape the database. They are asking Verizon to name their price, but told Motherboard they're hoping for 250000 and there are, since these are employees, there are concerns that this data can be used for things like social engineering, SIM swapping, and further compromise in the future. 
Canadian healthcare provider issues data breach warning after a server hack. The provider was, oh crap, Scarborough. Scarborough. Yep. I got it. I got it. (laughs) (laughs) Scarborough Health Network. It's unconfirmed, but it's still possible. There's no way to check if anyone accessed the information. It includes names, date of birth, email and home addresses, lab reports, diagnosis information, medical procedures, insurance policy numbers, details of attending physicians, and more. And our last data breach comes from the FBI, who is warning that hackers are selling credentials for U.S. college networks. That kind of pretty much says it all, to be honest. There's hackers are out there selling data to access U.S. college networks, which can then be compromised for student or teacher information. And now we're going to migrate over to company news. And this was a big one. Man, DuckDuckGo cannot avoid the headlines lately. So DuckDuckGo has a tracker blocking carve-out linked to a Microsoft contract. So DuckDuckGo is a browser and they have a claim of pretty much stopping trackers and other invasive things inside of their browser. The issue is they are now in hot water after a researcher discovered some hidden limits on that tracking protection that created a specific carve-out for certain advertisers, specifically for Microsoft, who again, Bing is the main provider for DuckDuckGo and its search engine. So there seems to be some kind of partnership there between Microsoft and DuckDuckGo, which isn't new news, but we didn't know about this carve-out. This only applies to the browser, not the search engine, which a lot of people are confusing online, by the way. This is a common misconception. Browsers are not search engines. So those are two different things. It does appear to still block third-party cookies from Microsoft, but not tracking scripts from Microsoft. It's worth mentioning that the DuckDuckGo CEO actually responded to us on Twitter and linked to like a PSA that he put on uh, Reddit, which pretty much just outlines what we said here, that it doesn't affect the search engine, doesn't affect third-party cookies, but it does actually affect tracking scripts. We're both willing to say on record that neither of us will probably use the browser anymore. Um, I actually wasn't already. I don't know if Nate was, but also we just wanted to take a moment to say take that all of you who think that we're picking sides when we just try to cover DuckDuckGo and these other companies transparently because everyone thinks we fanboy DuckDuckGo even though we're pretty neutral on them. I I worded that note poorly. Um, Before we said that the browser's out and we don't really see an advantage, but if you want to use it, go ahead and use it. I I don't think either of us really recommend that in light of this. So, you know, we change our minds when when we learn new things. The big thing that bugs me is that they agreed to the the non-disclosure part, you know, It'd be one thing if they agreed to like, okay, we're going to make an exception for you and then put that like buried it in the terms of service somewhere. Like that's kind of scummy, but at least you were technically open about it. With this, it's like, why did you even agree to that in the first place to like not be able to tell people? I agree. And this actually seems to be the main, I think everyone's getting mad at DuckDuckGo for the wrong reasons from their past few controversies in the last couple months. Everyone's mad at DuckDuckGo for censoring results, but they weren't even the ones censoring the results. It was just Bing doing the censoring, and they tried to take ownership of that because they thought it would look good. Their reliance on big tech is the real issue that people shouldn't even be angry about. They should just be like, oh my gosh, that's a problem. It should be kind of a moment for all of us in the privacy community to really reflect on and consider the implications of the companies and projects we rely on being reliant on big tech. Um, Another company that comes to mind is Firefox, who's reliant on Google. And I think that that might be something someday that might become more of an issue. It's not really a huge issue right now, but that's personally why I don't like companies being reliant on big tech companies. All right. Our next story is a quick update from Twitter. The FTC has fined Twitter $150 million for using two-factor for targeted advertising. So I'm pretty sure we covered this in a past episode. Twitter was caught lying. They asked for your phone number. They said they would only use it for two-factor. 
surprise Pikachu face. They didn't use it only for two-factor. They used it for advertising. I remember after that story came out, Twitter finally added TOTP and uh, also U2F, I think, uh, keys and stuff like that. But they still make your life kind of difficult if you haven't added a valid real SIM number to your account. So that is incredibly annoying. They have been fined. It's admittedly not much. I think it's less than a dollar a user, but you know, it's something, I guess. So that's cool. Our next story comes from Clearview AI, who says they are bringing their facial recognition to schools. In an interview with writers on Tuesday, the company revealed that it's working with a U.S. company selling visitor management systems to schools. This reveal came around the same time as a horrific school shooting at Robb Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas, that tragically left 19 children and two teachers dead. Obviously, that article has a bit of a slant, but I don't think that's a really controversial slant, so... In a press release Wednesday, the company outlined a path toward an apparent one-to-one face match verification method that could be used in schools, banks, and other private firms as part of the new Clearview Consent product which is probably going to be forced on a lot of people, despite the name. Clearview says it seeks to sell its facial recognition tool to enterprise companies decoupled from its massive database of faces. Theoretically, that means private companies could use Clearview systems as a one-to-one identity verification tool before creating online account, checking a passenger at an airport, or protecting against financial fraud. All right, up next, we have something from Vodafone who is a cellular company, and they are trying to implement carrier-level user tracking for targeted ads. So this is a new advertising ID system called Trust PID, which will work as a persistent user tracker at the mobile internet internet service provider level. This is nothing new. Verizon's been doing this for a long time. Essentially, all your web traffic is tied to a unique identifier when you're using these kinds of things, and you can opt out, but even then, it's kind of unclear if you're truly going to be opted out. They are superficial privacy toggles, which we're generally critical of. Um, This is a new system in a test phase in Germany, of all places, and it's intended to be impossible to bypass from within the web browser settings or through cookie cookie blocking or IP address masking. Um, This is pretty much a super cookie, in a way, where you're not able to bypass this in, in... through any of the things we generally recommend. Now, using a VPN or Tor should be able to get around this because at least they won't be able to snoop on the traffic, but they still might be able to collect basic information, but probably nothing they wouldn't collect before this was implemented. Just so we give you their perspective on things, for them, they want to keep the internet free. I mean, they're a carrier, so your job is to give people internet, and I mean, it's not free. People are paying for your service, so that's what I have to say to their response, but that's their response. Our next story comes from Tim Hortons, who, if I understand correctly, is a popular coffee chain in Canada who has violated privacy laws in collection of vast amounts of sensitive location data. According to a government watchdog, they were tracking users even when the app was not open every few minutes, so basically in real time. And the most troubling part of this is that they were misleading about the nature and the extent of the tracking. That is pretty much the entire story. Um, Just remember to be careful with those apps, man. I mean, that's really what it all comes down to. The takeaway on that one is to stop drinking coffee. <laughs> you know, I actually just got uh, my last podcast on the left, Coffee. It is cold brewing right now. I'm going to have some in the morning, and I'm going to tag you in the photo when I do. Okay. Sounds good. I'll be drinking my tea while while I get that That's that fine. You enjoy your tea. I will enjoy my coffee. My non-addictive, low-caffeinated tea. I want the caffeine. <laughs> You don't need the caffeine, Nate. <laughs> I mean, realistically, I could detox. I went 30 years without drinking caffeine, but... Then do it. <laughs> nah. 
We got just a couple more quick stories we're going to blow through at the end of the company section here. First off, ExpressVPN has removed their servers from India as a response to India's upcoming uh, VPN law. This is kind of just a PR move by ExpressVPN, but I do think it's a good move. Should be obvious, this is not an endorsement of ExpressVPN, but we do think this is a good move, and hopefully this will place pressure on other providers that we do endorse to you know, follow suit, because all of them said they were going to pull out, but ExpressVPN is the first to do it, so we'll see what the rest do. And up next, we're going to combine these stories just to save some time. Um, we're just going to share the headline. So new Microsoft Office Zero Day is used in attacks to execute PowerShell. So that's a Microsoft Office vulnerability. And there's also Google Chrome 102 that arrives with 32 security fixes, one of which being critical. So again, this is your reminder to update or you just use automatic updates. With that, we'll move into our research section, and we're gonna start off with Microsoft, who has found severe bugs in Android apps from large mobile providers. These are the apps that come preloaded. Like for example, if you go get an Android from AT&T, and it comes preloaded with all of AT&T's garbage, like their proprietary browser and their My AT&T app and all this crap that you don't want, never asked for, and can't remove. Unfortunately, researchers have found that most of these tend to have massive vulnerabilities. Now, the good news is all of the big providers that Microsoft called out in this report, which included AT&T, TELUS, Rogers, Bell Canada, and Freedom Mobile, all of them were able to uh, patch these updates. However, it is very likely that there are other smaller companies who are still using vulnerable software. So moral here, Bloatware is not just inconvenient, it's dangerous. So try to keep your device free from apps that you don't actually need and use. And if you can and you're comfortable, feel free using Universal Android Debloater to help remove some of those preloaded apps. I, I'm i not sure I found the right link, but I did find a link that is in the show notes that I think is the right one. But if I'm wrong, please let us know. There's like 10 different versions out there. It was hard to find the right one. Up next, for all the people who think they're completely safe on Linux, a new Linux-based ransomware targets VMware servers. So researchers have discovered a new Linux-based ransomware that's being used to attack VMware ESXi servers, which is a bare metal hypervisor for creating and running several virtual machines. Most of the world's organizations operate using VMware virtual machines. It makes the job of ransomware attackers far easier because they can encrypt just one server, that VMware server, and then encrypt every guest VM that it contains. So one compromise and encryption command can easily encrypt dozens to hundreds of other virtually run computers at once. So if you're someone who for some reason is working on this in your company by coincidence, you should know about this. Our next research story says mobile Trojan detections rise as malware distribution levels decline. This is a real quick one. Kaspersky's quarterly report on mobile malware distribution notes a downward trend that started in the late 2020. Despite the overall demise in malware volumes, the security company reports a spike in Trojan distribution, including generic Trojans, banking Trojans, and spyware. This worrying development underlines an increasing focus on more sophisticated and damaging operations that gradually replace the low-yielding adware and risk tools. Quick story in India, one in two smartphone users get ads based on private voice calls. So this was conducted by Local Circles, a community social media platform that found 53% of 8,000 respondents said they've noticed an instance of ads based on voice calls they've had in the last 12 months. Only 9% reported getting unfettered access to their microphone to all apps, and only 11% have given permission to social media apps. So this isn't actually proof of this happening, but it's something that people should be looking into. And our last story is another quick one. The headline says, depressed, this algorithm can tell from the tone of your voice. This article is really just a showcase of a new startup because it came from TechCrunch and that's kind of what they do. But 
I think it's worth noting that this tech kind of technology is out there and is in development and is soon going to be capitalized on. With that, we're going to move into the politics section and we're going to start with an article that says tech industry groups are watering down attempts at privacy regulations one state at a time. I'm going to quote the article a lot here. Uh, try to bear with me because, again, we're trying to blow through this as quick as we can, but there's a lot to unpack here and the article says it really well. We, being the markup, reviewed public hearing testimony, public comments, and lobbying records in all 31 states that have considered consumer data privacy regulations since 2021 and found a coordinated nationwide campaign by big tech to mold the rules to its will. Not just in Utah, but in Virginia and Washington and Minnesota, tech companies have provided draft language that led to the introduction of industry-friendly privacy bills, according to legislators the markup interviewed. We counted 445 lobbyists and lobbying firms that actively represented Amazon, Apple, Google, Meta, Facebook, and others in the 31 states we examined during the time those legislators were considering privacy legislation. Many of them registered as lobbyists for the first time in the weeks immediately before or after a privacy bill was introduced. Up-to-date lobbying information was not available on several states, so that tally is likely an undercount. The companies aren't just employing similar tactics, they're employing the same people. 75 of the lobbyists we identified were affiliated with a single California-based firm, Politicom Law. We found Politicom-affiliated lobbyists working on behalf of Apple, Google, Meta, and Microsoft in 21 states that have considered privacy legislation. While the tactics vary by state, the message and the asks are clear. Big tech wants laws that prohibit consumers from bringing privacy lawsuits against companies who break the rules, that narrowly define what constitutes selling data, and that require consumers to opt out of data collection and tracking on every website they visit, rather than honoring what is known as a global opt-out. Those are kind of the highlights. Definitely recommend you guys go through and read the whole thing because they go into a lot more detail. Tech is really behind a lot of these privacy laws right now, I think is the takeaway. And that's not good because they're going to make it work for them and not for us. Massachusetts highest court upholds cell tower dump warrant. So the highest court has upheld the collection of mass cell tower data despite recognizing that this data not only provides investigators with highly personal and private information, but also has the potential to reveal the locations, identities, and associations of tens of thousands of individuals. A tower dump occurs when a phone company provides law enforcement with data on all devices that connected to a specific cell tower during a specified period of time. Although the court declined to adopt a rule that cell tower dumps are always unconstitutional, it didn't preclude such an argument in a future case. Next story is real quick. The D.C. Attorney General is suing Mark Zuckerberg over the Cambridge Analytica data breach, which is from like 2016. Washington, D.C. Attorney General Carl Racine has sued Meta CEO Mark Zuckerberg for allegedly failing to protect consumer data following the Cambridge Analytica data leak. The lawsuit alleges that Zuckerberg was responsible for and had the clear ability to control Facebook operations and enabled Cambridge Analytica to use consumer data. The lawsuit alleges that third-party firms like Cambridge Analytica got data from 87 million Americans and half of the D.C. residents. So... We'll keep you updated if anything comes to light and we learn more about that. Up next, we have, I think, generally good news on this. So Connecticut has become the fifth U.S. state to enact comprehensive consumer privacy laws. So this is known as the Connecticut Privacy Act, the CTPA. Quote here, while the CTPA is a significant win for consumers and privacy advocates alike, especially as the law is considered much more consumer friendly than its Utah counterpart, Utah's another state, it also further complicates businesses' compliance obligations around a growing patchwork of laws, each slightly different than the next. Moreover, companies should immediately begin preparing for a number of additional laws that will go into effect in 2023. 
Essentially, what this allows is it allows you as a consumer to know what data the company has about you. It allows you to request corrections on the data. It allows you to request deletions or copies, as well as the right to opt out. So it sounds very similar to California's, but I haven't looked into all the fine details that separate how they're different. This is a very personal thing I'm going to say here, so this doesn't reflect us, and it's definitely on my side of things. It's good that we're seeing states start to push their own individual privacy laws, but I, I kind of get it now. If we're going to have 50 states with different privacy laws, what are businesses going to do? So I almost think at this point, if we start getting five, 10 states with their own privacy laws, we might as well just get federal privacy regulation. I also just want to note, we just covered a story about how these privacy laws are kind of built by tech. So I'm sure there's room for improvement in this law. But uh, yeah, you guys should read the article because it's, it's actually pretty good. If tech was trying to lobby this one, I think they kind of failed a little bit, So, which is good. And even if tech did lobby some of these... These are still improvements, so it's really about perspective. And speaking of California and laws and data protections, an early draft of the California Privacy Regulation focuses on opt-out rights and disclosures. So the California Privacy Protection Agency, which was created as a result of the CCPA, they released a preliminary draft of their proposed regulations, and uh, it includes detailed requirements for obtaining and implementing consumer direction regarding the sale and sharing of personal information, but it does not cover a number of hot topics like unique employee and business business-to-business -business issues, cybersecurity audits, privacy risk assessments, and more. Again, a lot in this article, totally worth checking it out. It's written by actual lawyers, but in plain English, so check that out. And then just a real quick win from India, the uh, University of Pristina had previously installed biometric equipment in order to manage entry and exit points and keep track of the hours their employees worked. They have now been ordered to stop and destroy all the data that was collected. Uh, this article was unfortunately paywalled, so I couldn't really get the full story, but based on the uh, bit that I was able to read, this seems like good news. Up next, a report has come out covering the governments are, that are harming children's rights in online learning. So governments of 49 of the world's most populous countries have harmed children's rights by endorsing online learning products during COVID-19 school closures without adequately protecting their privacy. Of the 164 EdTech products reviewed, 146, or 89% of them, appeared to engage in data practices that risked or infringed on children's rights. Um, and this is uh, a big chunk about what this does, but essentially it invades on pretty much everything these children do on these devices. Uh, not just for them, but their family and the opportunities that they have and their social status and their class and who they are. It's very invasive stuff. I'm sure many students who listen to this, which I know we have a lot, um, know what this kind of technology is like. So by using children's data extracted from educational settings to target them with personalized content and advertisements that follow them around the internet, these companies not only distorted children's online experiences, but also risked influencing their opinions and beliefs at a time in their lives when they're very susceptible to this kind of stuff. Many more edtech products sent children's data to ad tech companies that specialize in behavioral advertising or whose algorithms determine what children see online. So this is stuff that we've been talking about. I know I have for years and I know Nate probably has for years, but um, everyone talks about protecting the children. And this is one of the areas that, like, I'd really love to talk to people who say we need to protect the children and ban end-to-end -end encryption. Can we at least agree on this one, maybe? Like, we shouldn't be analyzing everything that children do and then using that for behavioral targeted advertising? You'd think this wouldn't be an unpopular opinion, and this is why, personally, I'd love to see some federal regulation on this stuff. That'll bring us into our free and open source software section, and we're going to start off with Proton, who has updated their user interface. That's honestly pretty much the only opinion I have on the subject. Some people like it, some people don't. 
I've heard some people say that you can actually change it back to the legacy interface and the settings. I haven't tried that, so I don't know if it's true. I know, Henry, you released like a whole video about this, so if you want to give more thoughts, now's your time. Yeah, just check out the video. We made a whole video. It was like mass-produced, super quick. Like the announcement came out, and I'm like, oh, I got to make a video. So there we go. That video's out there. Um, and it covers pretty much all the changes. A lot of it's UI related. There are a few functionality differences, but it's mostly UI. Our next story will come from Bitwarden, who has added integration with three popular email forwarding services to make it easier to create different email aliases for every login. These forwarding services are Firefox Relay, Simple Login, and Anonaddy. So if you are watching this and you are using email aliases, if you're not, you should be. And if you are, then chances are you're probably using one of these three. The Bitwarden Generator, which is available in all the Bitwarden plans, both free and paid, enables quick and easy creation of unique email aliases for Simple Login, Anon Addy, and Firefox Relay. Utilizing the API key from the account, an alias is instantly registered with the chosen service. So this should be pretty straightforward. Uh, I haven't tried this myself, but if memory serves, if you go to your like simple login or a non-addy account, somewhere in the settings, you should be able to find an API key. And there's probably documentation for this. Uh, we haven't checked, but I'm assuming there is so. But either way, yeah, this is really cool. I mean, it, it definitely makes, makes it easier and, and convenient for people, which is a huge step towards making people actually use it. So good for them. This is a win, I think. All right, up next, Linux World Rejoice, uh, HP Dev One laptop running System76, Ubuntu Linux-based. Oh my gosh, you know, I'm going to redo this headline for the whoever wrote this. HP has released a Linux laptop running Pop! OS, now available. So this is a 14-inch HP Dev One laptop. Um, there's only one configuration for it, so there's nothing to customize. Uh, it comes with an AMD Ryzen 7 Pro 5850U APU, which features integrated Radeon graphics. It comes with 16 gigabytes of RAM and one terabyte of NVMe storage, both of which can be user upgraded later if you choose. Uh, this laptop has two USB-A ports and dual USB-C ports, but there's no Thunderbolt, which is unfortunate. You also get a full-size HDMI, HDMI port and a 3.5mm audio jack as well, but no SD card reader. Again, this is only one config, it's about $1,100, and it's only available in the US, as far as I know, so that's kind of unfortunate. But it's kind of, the real reason we're throwing this in here and why the Linux community likes this kind of stuff is it's good exposure to Linux. They want Linux to be as easy as possible, and so bringing this to people just makes it better. The main thing I'm asking, and I think, was it you, Nate, who brought this up, is like, totally speculation. HP and System76 are competitors, and now HP oh. released. Yeah, that was with System 76's operating system, so that's all weird. Yeah, that was in, um, I think it was last episode, we covered the initial announcement of this particular laptop, and some the, the author had pointed that out. Yeah, that's just weird. That's like if... It's a little weird. It's like Toyota releases a car with like Tesla's proprietary software on it, branded with Tesla stuff on it, almost. It's weird. Apple released an Android phone, something like that. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a just weird. goofy. <laughs> but it's cool, so... It is cool. All right, up next, version 251 of System D is coming soon to a Linux distro near you. New releases of System D appear twice a year, so the chances are that this will appear in the fall releases of Ubuntu and Fedora. A lot of this is very complex, so we're going to keep it simple for the surveillance support, but you'll likely find lots of security improvements for those of you who use System D for this. 
Next up, we have good news. Fair email development will continue. So uh, somebody spotted the developer mentioned this in a message board thread, which is all linked on this page. The developer said Google was pretty friendly and cooperative and told me the favicons are indeed the problem and it can slash should be fixed by updating in the privacy policy to disclose how your app accesses, collects, uses, and shares user data. Given that the huge number of supportive messages I received, much appreciated, the project will be continued in some form in any case. End quote. This is good news. No word about NetGuard at this time. Actually, why don't I go ahead and check their website like I did last time? Actually, so NetGuard no longer has the big red warning that said this project is no longer supported. So I think NetGuard, NetGuard is probably back as well, which is also good news. Let this be your reminder. If you use either of these projects, please throw a little bit of money towards the developer. This is a lot of work he's doing, very thankless work in some cases, and it's just, you know, it's not easy. So throw the guy a few bucks if you use these products. Or any open source project, not just this guy. This guy too, but like anything you use. I have a personal simple login account and I just paid for it just cause. Like I don't need it. I, just, I can get by with just a free plan. Lately, just any place I can, I've been paying for services just because. Like it's a healthy way of fueling companies and it keeps the entire place healthier. So you don't have situations like DuckDuckGo relying on Microsoft to, yeah, you, you, we already covered that story. You get, you get my point. <laughs> yeah, just make a list of, of products you use and just donate to a different one every month. Like, yeah, or every paycheck, whatever. And up next, we have a whole bunch of updates from Firefox and they're all good. First one is Firefox translations. This is a feature they're actually telling us about before they kill it off. Firefox has released an offline translation feature. It works locally and allegedly doesn't transmit any data. It currently supports English, Bulgarian, Czech, Estonian, German, Italian, uh, Bukmal, which is Norwegian, Portuguese, and Spanish. Icelandic, uh, Ni I'm so bad at this today. Nynorsk, which is also Norwegian. Persian and Russian are in beta, so... Yeah, be sure to check that out if you're looking for a way to translate sites without Google. They are also rolling out total cookie protection, which separates cookies in the browser so that only the site that planted it in the browser has access to it. This protective feature limits cross-site tracking in the Firefox web browser. Some sites and services require third-party cookies to work properly. These providers get automatic permissions to use cross-site cookies when total cookie protection detects that a Firefox user intends to use that provider. The feature will be opt-in on install and you can report a broken site in the shield. And this is already activated if you are using strict tracking protection. Finally, Firefox 102 will feature query parameter stripping to improve privacy. This is basically just stripping out the tracking links if I understood this right. So for example, if you use something like clear URLs, which you don't have to because uBlock Origin has those same lists. And now you may not even need to enable those lists in uBlock Origin because Firefox will be adding those automatically, which is awesome because I'm tired of my family sending me links that are like two lines of actual URL and 15 lines of tracking garbage. Up next, rocket.chat, which is- It's just like a Slack alternative to me. Like yeah. better better than like Matrix or something like that. If you're yeah. looking for a more Slack-like experience. Yeah. Um, so rocket.chat has come to Matrix. So they're switching to the Matrix protocol inside of their service. This essentially means that Rocket Chat Federation might be a thing now, but either way, the reliance on the protocol, which should hopefully be more robust than whatever they're currently using. And up next, Tails OS users have been warned not to launch the bundled Tor browser until a security fix is released. This bug could enable an attacker to corrupt the methods of an array object in JavaScript via prototype pollution, potentially achieving the execution of attacker-controlled JavaScript code in a privileged context. 
Essentially, it's bad for your anonymity. That's the takeaway there. Um, this will be fixed in Tails 5.1, which is expected on May 31st, but still hasn't been released at the time of making these notes. So if you're using the Tor browser bundle on Tails OS, proceed with absolute caution. They don't even recommend you use it. Quick update. At the time we made the notes, 5.1 was not out, but just now I went to their website and tried to download it, and it looks like 5.1 is out now. So there you go, go update. There you go. Oh, hey, there's, it's, it's another, the takeaway was going to be watch out and the takeaway now is go update, which is just the survey and support takeaway for like 80% of the stuff. <laughs> and our last FOSS story is about EOS. Their cloud had a major security flaw this week that allowed users to access other user data. The title says it all. Just be careful of clouds, man. If you want more details, you can read the, the Reddit post that I'm quoting here. There was also another one that I, I didn't share, but yeah, multiple people reported like, hey, I was suddenly able to access data that was clearly not mine. So just be cautious of anything that you don't directly control. I'm gonna tag something onto that too. This is a personal thing for me. I've been getting more and more wary of just small projects. E isn't necessarily a small project, but I frankly would rather trust even something like Google Drive to control my data from a security perspective than something like EOS, even though it uses Nextcloud and all that, just because there's so much configuration required. And you know Google has dozens of people just dedicated to working on the basic things. Um, so this isn't a privacy thing. This isn't a security necessarily from Google type of thing or a privacy from Google thing. Just something to think about. Think about your use cases. Think about who you're trusting with your data. Think about if they're competent enough to secure that data. I mean, I think that's totally fair. Yeah, it's, it's really important to think about who who runs these projects and how resilient are these projects and how likely is it this project will be around a year from now, three years, five years, um, especially depending on what you do with that data. Like, like I come from an audio background. It is not uncommon for musicians to come back to you five, 10 years later and be like, Hey, we want to do a remaster of our album. We need a copy of the stems. And you know, so yeah, I think that's totally fair. Although for the record, if you're going to use Google drive, use cryptomator. I just have oh to yeah, totally. Anywhere. Yeah, we're not. We're, I'm not recommending Google Drive. I'm just. Saying, I just know like, someone's going to take that message away. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that, um, that is definitely an important thing to consider. And now we're going to move over to misfits, and the first story is a pretty fun one. The headline is: Have an old iPad laying around? You might be able to make it run Linux soon. So some very clever developers say they have Linux booting on devices using Apple's A7 and A8 based chips. Um, this includes the iPad Air, the iPad Air 2, and a few generations of the iPad Mini. It will be possible to get Linux up and running on any device with an A7 or A8 in it, including the iPhone 5S and the original HomePod. I don't think you should expect this to be a daily driver type of scenario. Normally when you have people able to flash these different operating systems on Apple devices, it's normally limited in many places, but it's still a very cool proof of concept and it's just fun news. All right, and we have just a couple of stories to end the misfits on. The first one, Horde Webmail contains zero-day RCE, remote control execution bug with no patch on the horizon. Horde Webmail is no longer actively developed, and that's why there's no patch on the horizon. You can go ahead and read the story and learn more about the, the bug if you want, but the main story that I wanted to share here is please don't use Abandonware. Like, I've, I've seen a lot of people that still say they're using, um, I think it's U-Matrix, although I think that one was actually picked back up, but... I, I see people all the time saying they're using these old outdated programs that are no longer maintained and like, okay, that's probably fine for like a few days, few weeks, maybe even a few months, depending on what it is. But in the long run, man, that's, it, it no longer receives updates and it becomes a security risk with every passing day. So uh, please try not to use abandonware. 
on that note, the last story is Conti Ransomware targeted Intel firmware for stealthy attacks. So updates matter. Even the obscure stuff like your firmware, which is what I wanted to share with that story. Like, remember to check this stuff, guys. I actually updated my router this morning. Like, don't forget the things that don't auto-update. Like, updates really are important. We'll find new workarounds for the privacy stuff. Security matters too. Don't go to too far of an extreme on either end. All right, and now we have our Q&A session. We have three questions today, all from our patrons. We don't answer all of them every week, but we try our best to at least target the main ones that we want to answer. So if you want to ask questions, join our Patreon. It's all in the description, and you'll be able to ask questions, and we may respond to it next week. So actually the first two questions were kind of merging. So the first one is from Altera. The question is, I just got a couple YubiKeys. Do you guys recommend them? Any recommended things to do? And the second question is from Person who asks, do you think passwordless authentication is going to be the mainstream soon? So to address the first question, so I actually recently migrated to a YubiKey for the business side of things. And we have a summer video on the Techler side coming out on it. Pretty much, for me, it prevents phishing attacks that TOTP is still susceptible to, and it's just generally more secure than TOTP by pretty much almost any form of measurement. We just need more services to support it. That's my issue. I have, on the business side of things, we probably have you know upwards of like 40, 50 accounts, and I think I have like five accounts that use UTF. So the support for it is really bad, and I think that ties into the next question. Do you think it's going to be mainstream soon? Well, for UTF and FIDO, FIDO, however you want to say it, we need services to support this stuff. And I don't see that happening anytime soon, given things like banks still haven't moved over from SMS to FA. I don't know. I think we have at least a decade if that even is going to be the next version of things, personally. Our next question comes from M, who says, are there any categories of smart home or IoT devices that you would feel comfortable using? It seems like a thermostat, at least, is something worthwhile. What features would disqualify a smart home or IoT device from consideration? Um, this is really like a personal question, and it really comes down to you, like your threat model and what you value. We have a smart TV, and it doesn't have any cameras, it doesn't have any microphones, but it has an internet connection, and we can download apps to for the different streaming services. Me, personally, before my partner and I got together, I watched maybe three TV shows a year. So a TV wasn't really something I cared about. Subscription services weren't really something I cared about, but she consumes a lot of content and she likes to watch these shows. So, you know, for her, that was important. And we compromised on finding things that, uh, you know, we read the privacy policy. I did my research. Fun fact, I chose the brand I chose because it's one of the few that actually gets updates. A lot of smart TVs don't even get updated anymore. The, the manufacturers just push them out there and have fun. Sucks to suck when the next vulnerability comes out. That's what I would say. Check the privacy policy because some of them are better than others. Check how often they get updated. First and foremost, check if you actually need it. Maybe a thermostat does make sense for you because maybe it'll save you hundreds of dollars on your energy bill. I think a lot of people get Alexas just because they're novel and they're neat and they're cool and they don't actually need them or use them. So if M follows up and says, okay, well, I decided I'm getting a smart thermostat. What are the precautions I should take with it? What, what do you What do you tell them? So the big things I recommend are uh, put it behind a VPN if you can on the router, get a good firewall and VLAN it separately, like separate it off from the rest of the network so that if there is a vulnerability and it gets compromised, nothing else on your network can be compromised because it's isolated. And for most devices, that shouldn't be an issue. I know even with things like Alexa, there are ways to put it in its own VLAN, but still allow it to safely or relatively safely communicate with other devices. I don't know much about it because again, I don't have an Alexa, but I know there's ways to do it. All right. And that was it for this week. Again, Brave has been direct mailing people, 
bizarre. Uh, DuckDuckGo has been giving Microsoft some special treatment. Bitwarden got a lot of exciting updates. HP released a Linux laptop. Um, and people have been able to boot Linux on an iPad. So it was kind of just a crazy week. We probably picked one of the worst weeks to take off. Again, promo segment. Patreon, join our Patreon. You could have asked some of those questions. And also we have a lot of other perks there for Patreon too. So you get, again, access to segment free, both audio feeds and video feeds. So you can watch either the audio or video format um, without segments. And also you have a TLDR post there. And also you get to support us and keep this thing going for free for everyone. And also we have Monero. So go ahead and donate to us via Monero if you just wanna give us some love. Um, that's all much appreciated. We see all of your donations and we thank everyone who's already sent it over because we do see it. Thank you again for listening to the surveillance reports. The final thing we want to ask you to do is to share it around. Make sure you're subscribed and give us a rating if you're listening from a platform that allows that. We want privacy to reach as many people as possible and you can help us do that. Thanks again for listening and see you next week.